Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and today we have two more 101s and two projects in the crypto space. We're going to get into those just in a moment. And I apologize, this intro is a little bit shorter than usual because I am still in New York for Blockchain Week in the middle of Consensus. And let me tell you guys, everything you heard about Consensus is true and even more. Everybody's there, great parties, great information. It's blockchain 24-7 in New York for about a week. So if you've never been to New York for Blockchain Week, I recommend it. You don't have to buy tickets to all the conferences. Just come, hang out, go to the parties, and meet people. It's worth it. Before we get into these two one-on-ones, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you're subscribed, leave us a rating and a comment. It helps us stay visible. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, crypto underscore underscore 101, and my personal Twitter, Matthew underscore underscore 101. This is not trading advice, legal advice, financial advice, and not personal advice. And I want to say thank you to the Crypto 101 editors for editing these tracks. Now, without further ado, I want to say thank you for listening. And here's 101s on two projects in the crypto space. We'll see you after the show. Pavel Bain, CEO and co-founder of Blue Zell. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Hey, Matthew. Thanks for having me on here today. I, thanks for having you again. And what, what people don't know is we actually recorded this. We had technical troubles and we have to do this again. It kind of sucks, but I hope to make it as authentic and natural as we did the first time. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> but hey, really quick before we get into every, everything, please tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about the origin of Blue Zell. Yeah, so uh, like I said, my name is Pavel, uh, co-founder, CEO of Bluezell. Traditionally came from the digital media video game space and got into blockchain uh, about four years ago. I just got interested in the technology. And so a uh, funny story about the name Bluezell was when we first started the company, my co-founder and I, we just needed a, a working name and uh, we just came up with Blue Street. And uh, so, you know, we're like, okay, that's just our working title. Couldn't get, bluestreet.com was taken, so we had bluestreet.co, which kind of bothered us. And uh, we just started working on, okay, we need a new name. You're trying all these combination, domains are taken. And uh, so we wanted blue in there because blue, if you look up, is, you know, safety related to money, royalty. So that's why a lot of banks actually use the color blue, we found out. And then um, I was just planning a trip to go to Tanzania to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. So, you know, obviously started to think about all the gazelles that are there. My family's originally from India, so they have got a lot of the Indian gazelle. And we're like, hey, you know, gazelles are kind of fast. They're agile. They move this and around. And at that time, we we're just trying to figure out what we're doing. So we're like, hey, that's kind of like us uh, in this whole blockchain space. So we kind of just took blue and gazelle and put it together. And the dot com was available. And, and voila, that, that you have it there. You said you were climbing Kilimanjaro? Yeah. So I did that in uh, 2015. In the 2015. How tall is that? It is, so let's see, if we go by feet, it's... Uh, oh, meters is fine too. We have an international audience here. Well, I think it's just over it's 19,500 feet, almost 7,000 meters. Oh, wow. And you went to the summit? Yeah, we went right to the top. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I think the tallest I've, I've been was 15,000 and that was, that was hard, man. Another 4,000, I think I've been dying. Uh, the last trek, the day up before we descended was, that was crazy. And this is from somebody like in my group. I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I was like, I've never camped before. They're like, you've never gone camping in your life? I was like, no, never. This is my first time <laughs> sleeping outdoors on a tent. And they're like, just shell-shocked. <laughs> yeah. it is, it, that's, that's funny. We did the same thing. So we decided to hike up the tallest building, or I'm sorry, the tallest mountain in um, Taiwan called Yushan. Yeah. And it's about 14 and a half, 15, I think, and um, 15,000 feet. 
And we were just so unprepared. There was no safety measures on the whole mountain. I would probably say Kilimanjaro is probably the same thing. They just had some chains on the side so you didn't fall off a cliff. And everybody was so unprepared. It was it was below zero. One just just wearing jeans and people were freezing. We're waiting. We're up there early in the morning trying to see the sun come up. It was a disaster. Oh no, ours is different. Ours was uh, Kilimanjaro doesn't. There's no dangerous parts to climb. It's like a really long hike up okay. the mountain. So you don't need any chains. You just get tired and altitude hits you and mm-hmm. uh, that type of stuff. But it's it, your your life was really never in danger. <laughs> like you're holding on to things to just to make it up. No, it wasn't like that. That's a good thing. This is not a mountain climbing podcast, yeah. <laughs> even though I, I, wish, I wish it was. This is super interesting. Blue Zell, what do you guys do? So Blue Zell is a, a decentralized data storage. So what that means is what we look at ourselves is building a data delivery network. So if companies are familiar with Cloudflare, which is a content delivery network, which takes website content, pushes it to the edge so it's distributed, so websites load faster. What we did was kind of take that concept and apply blockchain principles. And my co-founder found out that, hey, a distributed data storage or decentralized data storage is actually needed. So what that means is, hey, let's take just blockchain principles having all instead of miners, but have nodes or servers out there, take data, break it up and store it onto all this basically unused hardware that's out there from people. So you've got, you know, let's say you've got a, a goal would be, let's say you have an Xbox, your laptop, your phone, it's got unused capacity that you'll probably never touch, rent it out to the network. That way we can have people store on there. You can earn some money and the people are storing are happy because their data is now much more safer. It's available everywhere so they can retrieve it faster. And just like the Bitcoin network never goes down, this data network will never go down. And that's really telling because if you've probably seen the news for the past you know, couple of years, internet usage and data creation, data exchange between devices is just getting more and more. You've got like, in, by next year, they're saying six devices for every connected person on the planet. And they're saying that's 4 billion connected people next year. So mm-hmm. that's why you're getting a lot of these things like Cathay Pacific data breaches, Equifax data breaches, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Uber, you're getting people saying that data is being manipulated. They can't trust that their data hasn't been tampered with. And our belief is that using blockchain principles, you can apply that to data storage and you can solve all those problems. Okay, so how does this work? I, I guess I'm a little confused about how, how what Blue Zell is doing still. So it's, it's decentralized data storage. Does that mean like everybody's using this like the old Napster or LimeWire? Is that how it works? It would take that concept, basically peer-to-peer computers. Now to a customer, let's say you're a game developer and you want to store data on your network, you don't really care. Mm-hmm. You just want, hey, it's it's got higher security, speed, and availability. Mm-hmm. I don't care what's going on underneath, right? Right, exactly. What's going underneath is how we allow that to happen is, like you said, Napster and uh, LimeWire is, hey, Matt, you've got an extra computer sitting at home. Boom, turn it on, join our network, let us partition some of it, store some data on there, and you'll get some of our revenues. So basically, instead of renting out your house as for Airbnb or room, you're just renting out your computer. Got it. Got it. The thing I remember about like LimeWire and Napster is that it was kind of slow. And you said mentioned something about Cloudflare. And I just want to know, wonder if it works the same because, you know, if you have like movies and, and 4K videos, this is what I'm going to be using it for, right? I'm going to go to YouTube. I'm going I'm to watch MKBHD, see what like new cell phone he's reviewing. And I want that to stream to me 4K, great sound because he does a lot of good work into his videos. Is it going to be slow and choppy? Am I, I going to have graded video? But then you mentioned Cloudflare. 
Cloudflare, and the way that I know a little bit about how Cloudflare works is they take your cache or your, your browsing data and put it in like the countries that are closer to you. For example, if you're a Japanese uh, searching uh, certain websites, they're going to move it to maybe a, a servers in Japan so you have quicker access instead of even though that you're, the company might be hosted in Alabama. That, is that kind of how it works? Yeah, so two things is we're not storing files, so okay. there won't be any slowdown. So we're not doing movie files, music, things like that. We're strictly data behind devices. So if you're an IoT device, let's say you're a video game and you got leaderboards that need to be refreshed all the time, that's the data behind that is stored on ours. So you won't have those issues as like LimeWire and Napster uh, downloading things. Now, the Cloudflare model is correct is because using a decentralized network, what we're doing is, hey, We've got servers set up everywhere. So once again, the data that's most relevant at that time. So if you look at it as like I said, we're building a data storage technology, first rollout is it to act like a cache. So that way more people can start using it. And then the data that they're storing will be at the edge closest to, let's say the, the players in Mumbai playing a game. Let's just say it's Fortnite and they need the latest scores or leaderboards or what's happening. It's going to retrieve the data from a server closest to them as opposed to going all the way back to, let's say, North Carolina, where, uh, you know, Epic might have their Fortnite databases set up. Got it. Got it. A lot of people are making companies using blockchain, but blockchain sometimes isn't really needed in these instances. Why is blockchain needed in this instance? Well, technically, BlueZell isn't a blockchain. It is okay. a decentralized network just using blockchain principles. So by that, we mean, hey, distributed. The decentralization properties or? Yeah, like so basically, hey, it's decentralized. We're using, you know, the consensus algorithm because uh, that can assure like, hey, if a server is on our network or a server or a node, it's acting in good faith. If it's not doing things, we can kick it off. And then we're also using like, you know, basically cryptographic security behind it. Now, the one part of the blockchain we do use for the network, and this is, like I said, to the end customer, they're blind to it, is we'll use Ethereum smart contracts to validate that, hey, the nodes are acting in good faith. They're following our proper manners. And that, let's say, Matthew, you store data on our network. It's never been tampered. We know that only you were the only one who had access to it and who could change it. Mm -hmm. So really, like I said, we're more of a decentralized network which uses blockchain principles or technologies. Got it. And if you're using the, your, say, for example, you're using the empty space in my hard drive to store some of this stuff, I would get paid to store it with the BlueZell token. That's correct. Okay, cool. Excellent. Excellent. Just out of curiosity, how much storage would you need to store all the data? Because data, there's a lot of data. This is like everybody keeps talking about data, data, and there's a shit ton of data, like how much data, data is generated every day. Have you ever calculated how much storage you will need to satisfy all the data needs if everybody was using, say, BlueZell? And is that possible with decentralized or distributed systems? Uh, I think well, that, that's a capacity question. So that is we, a capacity question. Yeah. Yes, sir. So for us, we are we are we haven't done the number like what's a total we need. We just know that okay, what do we have available right now, and how many by average of what custom how much a customer will store, how much how many customers we can serve at a given point. Surprisingly, as much as people think uh, it's fragmented, more data centers are popping up because the big companies are starting to realize that this is actually needed and they need to start running some of their servers more efficiently, setting up new things, uh, you know, renting out from each other. So I don't think we'll have a, like in terms of the infrastructure hardware out there available that will be there to service everybody's needs. It's us being able to tap into all that unused space and join it to our network so we can increase our capacity. 
Now, there's two parts to that is, do we sit there and first build out the supply side and get tons of capacity, but then you might not have any customers. And then the people, let's say, Matthew, you join, you might get frustrated because I joined, but there's no customers, I'm not earning anything. So what we've decided to do is focus on, let's focus on customers because that's what really matters. And then we have a number of data center, data server providers who have unused capacity who said, hey, you know what, out we like what you're doing. We'll try this out. We'll give you some initial stuff because we're not using it anyways, and let's get this model working. Mm -hmm. I hear about distributed systems in data storage a, a lot recently. Are there competitors that you have that, that are trying to enter the same the, the same market that you are at the same time? And what sets you apart from these other competitors? So if you look at traditional centralized file storage or data storage companies, there's actually many in there. So let's say you go file storage, you know, you have Dropbox, what's the other company? Box. Then you've got Google Drive offering it. You've got a ton of companies. And when there's file transfer, there's lots of different things. Um, when it comes to the B2B, whether it's small to businesses to large enterprises, it's not a winner take all, which is good that you can have lots of players. Like, you know, Microsoft's got their own version of Dropbox. They call it something else. And so if you have a consumer product, it is now become, it's a winner take all. Like there can only be one social network, right? There can only be one video streaming, let's just say. And then same thing in data storage is, you know, you've got different systems that, let's say you've got databases, you know, like MongoDB, then you have Redis, then you have Amazon DynamoDB. So everybody kind of has different ways to do it and people figure out what they want to do or what's mm -hmm. best for their needs. In decentralized file storage, I'm, there, you know, there's people out there like Filecoin, storage. Uh, I'm sure in uh, decentralized data storage, there's us, there's a couple others, but our focus really is on not competing against the other decentralized storage companies because we all want to win. It's more about those centralized ones, the traditional ones like the Redis, MongoDB. How do we perform better than them? Because their customers, when we're trying mass adoption, is people not just working on blockchain apps, but non-blockchain apps, like where 99% right. of the applications are. We need to convince them to say, hey, it's better to use a product like Bluezell because it's safer, mm -hmm. faster, more available. They don't care if it's decentralized or centralized. It's like, does it just, does it make, if I'm a developer, does, does it, it make, work? Does it work and does it make my life easier than using Redis or MongoDB? Now, if we right. do that, that, so I think that's got to be the more measuring stick, not other decentralized companies. As of right now, April 29th, is your company profitable? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, that's, a, I mean, we're, we, we're all just startups, right? And products right. just getting out there. First stage is to have this product, the first version of the product release, which acting as a data cache, ready in the next couple of weeks. Then from that, we can go to the companies we've been talking to before and saying, hey, it's ready, it's working. All the stuff we said on paper to you before, it actually does. Why don't we run some pilots? Goal would be to take those pilots, show those real results, so it's not just coming from us, real companies using it, publish that, and then we can open that up and get more customers and more capacity. When you're focusing on developers, they're always very skeptical. So you need to just kind of show, improve, and keep kind of leveling up. If we went and did a big advertising campaign in an airport, you know, a developer would walk by and be like, I've never heard of Bluezell. What is that? This right. better than these guys? No, I'm, I'm totally skeptical to it already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so like you said, the first thing is to get the product products, get the customers, and to then start building out your ecosystem. What what products do you have, and what products are going to be released? Yeah. So the first version of it, as being a data storage technology, is a data cache. So that's where we're talking about, like the cloud for a model. And uh, easiest way to explain this use case would be, let's say Matthews, you've got a game studio. 
you launch it, you're based in San Diego, you found a database server, a center in, let's say, Seattle, and you go, great, my game's working, looking like it's working fine. All of a sudden, the game takes off in, I don't know, let's just say Japan, right? And the players are starting playing it, they're starting to get latency because every time they have to retrieve the data or play the game, there's performance issues because it's got to go all the way back to Seattle, to that data center. Now, you go, you quickly call up a company, hey, I, let me set up a data center database in Japan, close to that customer, replicate that database, make sure it's all working. Okay, good, I solved that problem. In that whole time, you know, your developers are now acting like IT guys, and you might have lost some Japanese customers, but you're like, hey, problem solved. Now some of the game takes off in, I don't know, Western Europe. Now you got to call up another data center in uh, London, set it up, do the exact same thing. So each time that takes time and money is a distraction to your company and you're annoying your customers. So with BlueZell as a data cache, what we're saying is, hey, we've got a network already set up around the world, geographically dispersed. Hey, Matthew, take your game, point it to us, and we'll cache that data that the customer needs, and it's already there. So no matter where that customer takes off, it's just going to ping the closest uh, node on our network and give that information. So whether it's in Mumbai, Johannesburg, Cairo, wherever, you know, somewhere in, uh, in Sao Paulo, we'll have something there, and it's already there. So the player never experiences any latency or performance issues, and your team mm -hmm. doesn't have to worry about setting up and running, acting like an IT company. You can just keep focused on making a better game. Right, right. I have one last question before we ask you to tell everyone where to find you. My last question is, I understand the blockchain technology when it comes to verifying information. Matthew had this data. Matthew hasn't manipulated this data. Now it's going to be uh, distributed. But why the tokenized aspect for the payouts? Like, for example, if I was using Patreon, I, I do use Patreon, um, and people come and donate money to Crypto 101, I put in my bank information. Every month, Patreon pays me out. Um, it's There's no <laughs> really big fees. Uh, they, of course, they take a little bit from Patreon. I pay, of course, uh, U.S. taxes on all the, all the money that I make, of course, because that's what I should be doing being in the States. But there's really no problem. Why do you choose to pay people in tokens when it's so, say, when it could be easier just to use like a Patreon uh, system? Okay, so there's a couple ways here. One is... A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We want to get to a point that we can do just-in-time charging. So let's say, Matthew, you're storing your Crypto 101 podcast, data information, customers, all that with us, and it changes every day, right? So we want to be able to bill you on a per-usage basis. And, mm -hmm. and whoever is getting paid out at that time as you're getting charged, let's say daily, we can send money right away. Now, if you use a traditional system with a payment gateway, whether it's Visa, MasterCard, or a bank, it could be anywhere from a charge of you know 1% to 3% just for facilitating that transaction. So that doesn't mm -hmm. make it economically viable for on-demand and paying people out every day, 
you got to wait. Mm-hmm. Tokenizing actually allows us to solve both those problems, right? We can one verify that, hey, whatever was done was done, and you know our smart contracts show it. And what you're getting charged, you know, it's totally transparent. And people who are getting paid out, it could be done on an on-demand basis. Mm-hmm. Right on. So Excellent. Really, it's really about uh, getting rid of those kind of those payment gateways and making it more efficient and optimal. And people want to get paid out as they're doing their service. They want to get paid out as soon as possible today, not tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, I I know from people in the payment wallet system before blockchain, anything like they're talking to me about how systems like Uber would work. And you'd be surprised where that money has to transfer and go through different multiple exchanges and go to different banks just to pay out the drivers. And they're probably probably losing a lot of money just on that. And I look at it, we're basically making that, hey, we don't have to worry about double exchange fees and all that stuff. Just get it to the supplier. They get paid out and they get exactly. There's no extra extraneous costs in there. Where can people find you if they're interested in your project? Uh, the best thing is probably following us on Twitter. We try to like keep everything up to date and tell what we're up to, give uh, you know regular updates on that. So that's at HQ. And then the other one would be really bluezell.com. It's a streamlined site. Now you can go there, learn a bit about us. And then we have our documents page where if they click on there, even if they're non-technical, they can still read that. It's written in a way that everybody can kind of, what I just explained to you is really on there, like as an overview, the big problem, solution, different use cases, how Bluezell can be used, different industries we target. And it's written in a form that developers and just the, uh, the person who's into cryptocurrency and crypto technology and blockchain can totally understand it. Awesome, man. Pavel Bain, CEO, co-founder of Bluezell. Thank you for coming on Crypto 101, sir. Thanks, Matthew, and keep up the great work. Thank you, sir. Matthew Finlayson, head of product for Invictus Capital. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Hi, Matthew. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. For, sir, I'd like to get right into it, jump into it. Tell us the 101 What is Invictus Capital and how did it start? Okay, so Invictus Capital is a crypto asset investment firm. um, And we started back in 2017 with an ICO that was the first tokenized cryptocurrency fund uh, that we launched. Um, After that, Invictus Capital was launched as the umbrella company. And while asset management is our main focus, uh, we have a lot of expertise in consulting around blockchain tech. Uh, We're very much a tech-focused company with a few tech products and are very big on data science and AI as applied to the crypto asset space. And you, sir, when did you join? So I'm one of the co-founders of Invictus, actually. Uh, so right. was there right in the beginning when we were seeing all the craziness happen with the ICOs in 2017 and was there for the founding of, of Crypto20, our first product, basically. Well, I apologize that I know you're the co-founder. You, you introduced yourself to me as a head of product. I was like, oh, okay, he was hired by some dude. Sorry, I, I, sh- I should have explained that a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> so you did, a, you did a fundraise in 2017. Uh, how much did you raise? So we raised uh, $40 million at the time in within one month. Wow. Hey, congratulations on the fundraise. And how has been the progress of u- utilizing that money? Of course, a lot of people when they raised at that time, uh, Ethereum was at a higher rate than it is now. A lot of people has 40 million might have turned into 10 million or even eight or 7 million at this point. How did you manage your funds? Sure. So uh, we were quite different from the vast majority of ICOs in 2017 in that uh, what we were raising for was for uh, an asset backed fund. So your investment wasn't used to start a company or anything like that. We had a product live from day one. Um, and so all the assets invested went into our assets under management. And the whole mandate of the fund was to track the, the crypto market by tracking an index of the top 20 cryptocurrencies, similar to how you would track the S&P 500 on the New York Stock Exchange as an example. So we were very fortunate in that when we launched with our $40 million fund, it was right at the beginning of the crypto bull market of 2017. And within two months, the fund value was at around $160 million as it was just tracking the entire market cap. 
And now we're sitting at around $20 million after the big drawdown that we've been experiencing over the past year. Okay, so that's not bad comparing to some other companies that are really going broke, shutting their doors right now as we speak uh, because of them running out of funds and mismanaging their funds. Do you think hindsight, you could have managed your funds better? $160 million, of course, everybody says, hey, I should have sold at the top. But how were you managing and mitigating that risk throughout the downturn into this nice uh, crypto winter? So, I mean, Crypto 20 as a product is a is an passive index fund. So the whole point uh, of the fund as an investment product is to track the entire market cap. Uh, So we don't make decisions as the investment managers to what we should or shouldn't invest in. It's a pure market cap weighted. The rule set is predefined. Uh, So it was basically by design that it went up to $160 million and by design that it crashed or or declined in kind with the market. Um, So, yeah, I guess the frank answer to your question is that the fund operated as expected. It was just such that the crypto market at the time was declining and, you know, nobody could have predicted that. And we would have been out of our fund mandate to make any changes to what the fund strategy was. Can you define what that means, weighted investment instrument pegged to or correlated with the top 20? Now, if the top 20 or the top biggest cryptocurrencies change, that means your investments get changed to something else. Um, Say if Litecoin, it moves from the number five spot to number nine spot, does the weighted, the average of what you're holding the index change as well? And what is it to? Is it to the market cap? Is it to the price of the actual coin? Can you explain that a little more clearly, please? Yeah, that's a great question. So, The fund is a basket of cryptocurrencies that you gain exposure to with your investment, right? And the index methodology we follow is one we've created ourselves. And it's very much following a bunch of data science techniques. And we released a scientific paper at the time uh, detailing our approach to creating an index. So the index we've created, which is what the fund follows, is a simple top 20 coins ranked by market cap. Each coin is capped to 10%. So Bitcoin will be only 10% of the fund. ETH will be 10% all the way down to the the bottom 20th coin. Um, And on a weekly basis, we look at the market and we see uh, has the ranking of coins shifted and if that is the case we'll take the underlying funds and we'll rebalance them in line with what the market now looks like so perhaps the bottom coin falls out and now Monero's in the fund we'll buy Monero so that it's two percent of the fund and in that way we track the entire crypto market uh, by holding a basket of currencies. Okay, that's that's cool. Very, that's very clear. So I understand why you did that because, of course, if you did it based off a of market cap, total market cap, Bitcoin, you would have fifty percent all the time. You'd have then the next thirty percent yeah. in Ethereum, and you would only have twenty percent of everything else, and and like 0.2% of whatever it is at number 20. So that's a very smart way to do that. Is this automated? So when something else moves into the top 20, they just automatically drop it from everybody's portfolios and and buy up what is there. And then do you have to pay like some sort of like some spread or maker taker or how does that even work when you're looking at the trading out those cryptos? Sure. So it's a a semi-automated process in that the index methodology is fully automated. We have a real-time data feed Uh, from all a bunch of different exchanges that tells us what the ranking is at each weekly rebalancing cycle. But then the actual physical rebalancing has to be manual because our assets are kept in cold storage. So we'll go to our cold storage facility, uh, retrieve the assets that need to be sent to exchange, and then we trade on exchanges there. Or potentially we could use OTC desks as well if the liquidity required was, was much higher. Uh, once we've traded on exchange, we'll say sell some Bitcoin because now it's more than 10% of the funds. So we'll sell some Bitcoin and we'll buy some Litecoin uh, and then we'll send those assets back to cold storage. Uh, that's an overview of the process. I personally feel that there has to be some kind of security holes or um, worries in that process. If everything, uh, and I understand that everything is in cold storage. So at, while it's at cold storage, of course, you're safe. How is your one, the cold storage managed? I know you might not want to go into much detail, but I think uh, for... <sighs> 
transparency and, and maybe um, good feelings. You, you, we could explain that. You know, cold storage can mean it's on my ledger in a safe in my desk in my office that my kids play in, opposed yeah. to being in a bank. Um, yeah, yeah. And the other one is it seems like the point of weakness in this process is managing and handling that cold storage to an employee co-founder even, taking that, having the private keys, making those trades and putting it back in. It seems as though that that is the weak spot. And we've seen this many times, Quadringa or what have you, or people that had the private keys do some shady shit, to be honest. What is the security that the, your customers get? Sure. So for, for Crypto20, and, and this, this is something that's constantly improving you know, throughout the crypto industry. But when we launched Crypto20, there were pretty much no institutional custody solutions. So we had to come up with our own operational method of storage. Um, and we essentially try to replicate how a bank would deal with storage. So we have a bank level institutional vault, which has two party access to the vault with, you know, Swiss biometric scans as an example. Um, and all our cold storage is kept there. So it's, it's like third party access controlled. And there's essentially two, two things you need to care about most for cold storage uh, from a fund perspective. And they can generally be broken down into operational risks and technology risks. Uh, your operational risks are... Uh, you know, having segregated duties within the company or reporting to someone else within the company so that it would have to require a concerted effort from multiple parties, each of whom is taking risk within a company in order for something to go wrong. And, you know, traditionally, that is how a, a bank would deal with these kind of risks. And then the tech solutions are what are you actually using for the physical security of your assets? So as I said, for Crypto20, we've got operational controls in place such that the people who are accessing the vault are not the same as the people who are reconciling the funds we have under management. Uh, there always have to be two people, for example, going to our storage facility. You can't, you can't just go on your, by yourself as a lone wolf. So there is that accountability there. What we're looking to do now for our new fund, Crypto10, which is actually launching towards the beginning of next month, um, is we're looking to use uh, institutional grade crypto custody solution. Um, and there are a lot that are coming out. Coinbase has one, for example. Uh, Ledger Vault is a solution by Ledger themselves. And this is a this is a more ideal solution where us as asset managers don't even have access to the assets ourselves. Uh, we can just give execution commands to the custodian. And so we're moving in that direction uh, where these solutions are specifically bespoke designed for companies in our position and address a lot of the concerns that institutional investors specifically would have. So I, I do understand the some of the aspects that you brought up there, but two people going to a vault to retrieve something or, or make trades or transactions uh, just means I have to make buddies with them and we split split the booty. Um, <laughs> with, with cryptocurrency, it's not like going to a bank. We both go into a vault. We have to carry out a million dollars. That's a heavy sack. Uh, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, it's a 10-minute you know, confirmation time and then it's you know wherever i want it to be wherever i am and i get on a plane i'm gone so i wonder uh, with solutions like ledger was on the show i had eric um Larsevic on the show and he talked about his you know institutional solutions why didn't you just start doing that from the get-go 40 million dollars should have got you in the door no so at the time at which we launched crypto 20 which was towards end of 2017 there really weren't that many custody solutions available uh, ledger vault is a reasonably recent uh product that's come out and 2019 is definitely set to be the year of custody solutions. And now this is now the time to basically be looking at those kind of solutions that have been launched. The problem specifically in 2017 towards the end of the ICO craziness was that people were claiming to have all these steps put in place and all these licenses put in place. Uh, but it was very difficult to verify that. And there weren't really any crypto savvy jurisdictions that you could rely on to enforce whatever practices they'd said they would be doing. And we'd heard some 
you know, in doing our research, we'd heard some uh, pretty horrific stories where, you know, as you said, initially, they'd say they've got all these solutions in place and you'll pay them $50,000 a year or whatever it is to custody your assets. But actually, they're just sitting in a paper wallet in someone's desk at work, right? And there wasn't really a way for us to verify this. So it's only now that far more serious players have come into the place and regulators are stepping up their game when it comes to, you know, being savvy about this kind of technology, uh, that it's viable to start looking at the solutions that are being put forward. Excellent. I like that. I'm a, I'm a dude. I don't have, you know, $25,000, $50,000 to put into a, you know, an index fund. I have 100 bucks, maybe 1000 bucks. Do you cater to everyone or are you only for uh, accredited investors so our products are largely targeting the retail market and you can invest you know as an investor with 50 dollars or 10 dollars or 100 dollars whatever have you and it's pretty easy to do so through our investment portal we don't accept investment from u.s citizens so we have no requirement for uh, u.s accredited accredited investors absolutely boo right there i'm sorry i realize you're (laughs) you're from the u.s (laughs) So, so through your investment portal, you log in, you make an account, you, how do you do this? Walk me through the, the step-by-step briefly of how this would work. So, so there are two ways. I mean, you can buy directly from us for Crypto10 uh, as an example, or you can buy on exchange in the secondary market. So if you were to buy through us, you'd come onto our investment portal, create an account. Uh, you'd go through our KYC process, which we use a third party for. Uh, and we'll have our own internal AML checks. Once you've gone through that process, you've got a verified account, then you're able to send Bitcoin as an example to invest, and you will receive C10 tokens in return for your investment. And those tokens represent your proportional share of the underlying funds. Gotcha. There's a lot. This isn't the first index fund in the space. This isn't the first time I've heard or interviewed people about this sort of idea. Yeah. What sets you apart? Why? What are some other players in the space that you are direct competitions with? What What is that difference that is going to allow you to keep operating and be fruitful over time, as, especially with such a fast-growing market and fast-growing tech? Sure. So I'd say that the main thing that sets us apart is that we very much take a computer science or engineering approach to fund construction and, and, and asset management. So the, the process I outlined very briefly for Crypto20 is, is very much a scientific process we follow to arrive at whatever our index methodology is. And you generally don't see that from pretty much, yeah, from most other index products, I'd say, especially not the guys coming from an institutional space into the crypto market. And you can see that this is the case because they'll create an index fund that is top 10 unweighted and it rebalances on a quarterly basis, as an example. And if you just look at the data uh, or if you look at the, the past performance of a fund like that, the crypto markets are so volatile that quarterly rebalancing basically does nothing for you. A coin can drop from number five to the the hundredth position in the matter of a a couple of weeks. So quarterly rebalancing is is too low. Um, And if you do a pure market cap weighted, you're overweighted and thus, you know, over-risked in terms of your exposure to just Bitcoin and half your holdings will be in Bitcoin. So the value propositions we have are firstly, a data science approach to, to fund construction. And secondly, because we come from a more technical background, we feel that we can far better take advantage of uh, a lot of the benefits that blockchain technology offers for for fund administration or for the finance industry at large. Um, As an example of this, I mentioned that our funds are tokenized, and this allows us to do all fund administration and all settling of C10 tokens through a smart contract. uh, And you're able to receive the underlying value of your investment uh, in Ether via our smart contract without us having to be involved in the process. So this allows us to trade or redeem seed 10 tokens uh, 24-7 on an hourly basis in a manner that's completely transparent. Everyone can see how our products are priced. 
everyone can see the liquidity available for redeeming your tokens. And no other products that I'm aware of are using blockchain tech in, in quite the same way. How do you, often do you rebalance? So for, for both Crypto 10 and for Crypto 20, we rebalance on a weekly basis. Gotcha. Awesome. So if this tickles somebody's fancy, if somebody wanted to look more into your company, more into maybe investing uh, with a weighted balanced index fund as you have, sir, how would they find you? Uh, you can find us on the web at invictuscapital.com. Uh, we've got a pretty large online community on Discord, which you're welcome to join. But yeah, I guess invictuscapital.com is the, the point of departure. A lot of our social channels and stuff will, will branch up from there. And you're welcome to reach out to us. The team's online uh, most of the day uh, on Discord and you know on Twitter, etc. Right on, brother. Matthew, thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. And a any chance you're going to be in New York this uh, May? I don't think so. I think our CEO, Daniel, might be. I'll have to follow I up. Yeah, man. Put us, in, put us in touch. It'd be nice to shake his hand. Yeah, for sure. We'll do that. You have a great day, sir. Great. It's nice meeting you, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. In our next upcoming episodes of Crypto 101, we have much more 101 episodes. We also have a special interview with Mr. James Altucher, one of my podcasting heroes. He comes on the show, talks about his journey into podcasting, his philosophy on life, and also his involvement in blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrencies. We also have a great series on FUD from some of the biggest skeptics of blockchain technology in the space. And I can't wait to get that all set up for you. Don't forget to go to crypto101podcast.com, find our social medias there, send us an email, and say what's up, and keep listening to Crypto 101. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.